Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 27th, 2011. For newcomers, you should really help yourself this upcoming year too and get as much out of this site as possible, cuttingthroughthematrix.com because we don't know what's going to happen to the nets, uh, the way things are going. Lots of laws have been passed and a lot are pending. So make use of the website. You'll find lots of information that where I try and chronicle the history of the system we're in and to show you that nothing's by pure chance, that nothing simply comes out in the big crisis form that is presented to the public and big changes that happen across the world, but rather everything is planned long in advance, many, many years in advance, by those who control the world and who control governments and uh, whole trading blocks now as well. They're globalists, and they have the cash to prove it and the power and connections. So help yourself to the, to the audios there. There's hundreds and hundreds to choose from, and you'll get shortcuts, hopefully, to understanding this system, which we call reality. And also, remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. You can help me keep going by buying the books and discs I've got at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And because uh, I don't bring on advertisers uh, to sell you products, I don't have uh, shares in, in product companies or anything like that. So all I have is the books and discs, and you can buy them from the U.S. to Canada using a personal check or an international postal money order, or you can use Sync Cash, and some people use PayPal instead. And across the world, we've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. And straight donations are awfully welcome. You see how to do it at the cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. All the sites listed on the com site are the official uh, websites, and they, they carry audios and transcripts in English. If you want transcripts in other languages, go into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, and you'll find a variety offered there for print-up. Some people prefer reading and I can understand why in these busy times, uh, these noisy times too. But as I say, I try and chronicle the events to show you the connections between the past and the present. The big organizations that decided in the 1800s they wouldn't allow such a thing as democracy to take over and take their power away from them. And they also believed that they had the natural right to rule, being the most wealthiest people on the planet, uh, and had held on to wealth through many generations. That was part of the, of the induction. You had to have that in your history or your resume, you might say. Uh, to belong to these clubs. And they believed, too, in Darwinism. Uh, it really fostered and helped, helped, uh, helped, helped to really encourage their, their, their arrogant belief that they were so superior to everyone else, and so that they were naturally the ones to, work, to rule the world, not just the average person. And democracy, of course, they, they used democracy over and over again to fight their wars, uh, and, and that's really used the, the front, oh, it's democracy we're bringing to the savages again, and enlightenment as we rape their uh, natural resources. But anyway, I give you the history of it, the groups involved, the foundations that they put up as front organizations worth, tr- worth trillions of dollars, which fund so many of their global projects uh, in a social setting mainly, 
so-called charities or non-governmental organizations, and they use them as full-time lobbyists at governments, all governments across the world. And it's a tax write-off for them, too, with these foundational charitable fronts. But they're completely into politics and directing politics and directing the, the, the course of the world. And, of course, all the greening cash that gets thrown out for advertising, too, generally comes from these big foundations, which are owned, remember, by international money lenders, basically. These are guys in families with a private bank who lend to whole nations, not just your corner bank at all. And you'll find out they have uh, uh, that the plan that we're going through today, taking over all the whole of the world and the ways of causing war, blaming an enemy, that has been going on for well over a hundred years. They even give the techniques in Carl Quigley's The Anglo-American Establishment. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. Uh, I've done articles or read articles on the air before where the social services have gone after particular families and they're going after them in every country now. Everything's global, you see. It's all through the United Nations and various laws and treaties have all signed and they, they all act at the same time across the globe when these things become law. And Britain is such a mess now with uh, children being stolen all the time by the services. And, of course, there's always money involved. They get so much per child, more from, from government for nabbing children. And, uh, and it also creates an, an air of paranoia because to train the social workers to be paranoid of everybody out there, especially men. And uh, children, dads now are terrified to be seen in public holding a little girl's hand anymore because you just never know. You just don't know. You know, that's how paranoid, paranoid everyone is. But so when they come into a person's life, they, they turn upside down. You don't really need, they don't need proof for accusation of abuse. And they generally never let go. They're, it's like they get their tentacles in there until they get what they want. And there's much more to it than that. But even the types of, of workers they pick for these so-called services. Interesting, too, I've always gone back to Lenin, who said at the beginning of his little reign there, he said that uh, that basically services would would spring up all over Britain, uh, which would be called services, and then the public would get used to them uh, being sort of authorities, and then they would increase and help this authority figure into their minds, and eventually they would become completely authoritarian. And that's all happened. The police services now are, are just militaries. And uh, same thing with social services. A service is something you could, but should be able to take or leave, like health service or anything else. But uh, I've t- I spent the weekend too talking to a couple in, in Utah who had their child stolen recently. Uh, so it's the same across the world. This article I'm going to read here is about Britain. Lenin also, under the, the Marxian plan, believed in the destruction of the family unit. So it was one method to help that along, mind you. And uh, this, is the, this is an article from uh, Britain, but it says, Deliberate Destruction of a Family, Part 1. And it's from the UK column. It says, that The system works like this. First, social services get their set against you under the heading of risk. It may be your next-door neighbor's school, jealous, a vindictive family, a, pre- a, pre- a previous error on your part, one you paid for and now free, 
or it doesn't matter, you're now on the radar. Well, it doesn't matter, folks, you're definitely on the radar if it comes in. This paragraph really goes against everything I stand for and believe because I think every child deserves all the love and the fun a family can give. But the places where you should feel the most relaxed to showing your love and fun are now the most dangerous, which is the school, uh, playgroup, doctors, hospitals, your own home, neighbors or chat about, whatever. Uh, the reality is that so many people have now been brainwashed into the predator syndrome that every male is a threat to every child and every child thinks that every male is a threat to them. And it's, it's an advertising too and it's, it's in their school lectures. In fact, these sad people so scared of sex and so conditioned by the media of the dangers that so-called friends become an absolute danger. You, you can't trust anyone. They feel so righteous and community-minded dobbing you in over their concerns about what they think is going on. They think that some casual observation and interpretation through their coloured perspective gives them the right to make derogatory concern about the way you are behaving as a family. They have no understanding of the Gestapo, which awaits the phone calls and the havoc that phone call reaps when they report you. And we'll betide the recipient of SS attention as a ramifications to your complete life, not only yours, but that of the, ch- the children they purport to protect are laid in desolation and ruin. If you decide that you're a risk to your children, your family is crucified. It's true enough, they'll nail you to the wall, demonize you. So you must stay out of the radar as best you can, and to do that you must hide your love and enthusiasm for your family out of the public view. You know, you understand everything is Pavlovian training. And this is true. You, 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 you can't just grab your child, your own child, and give them a hug and put them down and a laugh. Anymore, it's, you're altering your own behavior because you know you're getting watched all the time, all the cameras everywhere. And that's intentional. Uh, cameras everywhere is also meant to alter your behavior. You can't be sp- spontaneous about anything, and that's why there's so many cameras in a place like Britain. Anyway, it's just for some that's not enough because the SS have commenced a policy of removing children from parents who have criminal records, including drugs, and they delight in using their tactics against them, as they know the public will uphold their risk assessment, even though based on lies. They're effectively running an inquisition, and instead of burning you at the stake, they burn your family instead. And then they kidnap your children. It's nothing but kidnapping, and they go through the techniques used there too. And then they mention the court system, which is a real ploy. It's a closed court, uh, court system, and the parents can't see anything, the social workers go in and give, give their side of the, the thing, and then uh, the child disappears into the goner's foster home or wherever. But it's, a, it's an awful situation. It's becoming more and more rampant. There is an agenda. And uh, remember, too, they pick families as well that are fairly bright often and well-educated and have books lying around the house about how the topics we discuss, for instance, on this particular broadcast. And if they see that anywhere too, then you're contaminated. You're contaminating your child with old-fashioned ideas, you see. That's a term they used from the Soviet Union, and that's what they, they call you. You're contaminated. They don't want you passing on things like morality and such on, such like to your children, you see. So beware those uh, people who come around your home. You can't trust anybody today. Either they're watching Oprah or something. They've just seen a a show and their imagination is running rampant. So, you know, be careful out there. Now, Monsanto is is such an incredibly powerful institution on its own and that that it's controlled courts across the whole planet. Whenever anybody gets a Monsanto seed on their land, it blows all over the place. Birds 
actually poop it, you know, into your land too, uh, Monsanto come along and find you multi-thousands of dollars. And they say that you've got their seed. It doesn't matter how it got there. You've got their seed. That's all the law cares about. And there's one guy in Canada who's been fighting this for well over 10 years. And it says, this article is from Dr. McCall. It says, Monsanto has long been, been trying to establish control over the seeds of the plants that produce food uh, for the world. They've already planted a number of genetically altered food crops, which can only be grown with proper license, and the seeds for which must be purchased anew each year. That determinate our genes, so you can't say the. It's a beautiful con, isn't it? It's so beautiful. Uh, you've got to go back for the seed every year, which keeps going up in price, and the chemicals to use with it. But genetically engineered crops cannot be contained, and rather than being found guilty of contaminating farmers' property, uh, Monsanto has successfully sued hundreds of farmers for patent infringement. Many farmers have subsequently quite literally lost their farms. That did happen to a lot in Canada. And it says Percy Schmeiser of Saskatchewan, Canada, was also a victim of Monsanto's vile ways. Schmeiser worked on a farm and developed his own seeds for 50 years and when his fields were contaminated Monsanto threatened him, intimidated him and tried to take his land away but Schmeiser refused to give and eventually beat them in court Percy's story is a classic case of David versus Goliath and his victory is no doubt momentous it all began in 1998 at which time Schmeiser had grown canola on his farm for 40 years like any other traditional farmers he used his own seeds saved from the previous harvest but like hundreds of other North American farmers, Smizer ended up being sued by Monsanto for patent infringement. More than 320 hectares were found to be contaminated with Roundup-ready canola. While the main road way past his fields, you see, and you could see some of the stuff blown out of trucks from, as, as they carried their Monsanto ones to other farms. But it says here, they contaminated with Roundup-ready canola. The biotech giants patented canola, genetically engineered to tolerate otherwise lethal doses of glyphosate. The company sought damages totaling $400,000. Most farmers ended up settling, but Schmeiser was angry enough to fight back. In a 1999 interview, Schmeiser stated, I never put the plants on my land. The question is, where do Monsanto's rights end and mine begin? The case eventually went before the Federal Court of Canada, and Schmeiser in turn accused Monsanto of libel by publicly accusing uh, uh, him of committing illegal acts, trespassing and properly obtaining samples of his seeds from a local seed plant and callous disregard from the environment by introducing genetically modified crops without proper controls and containment, contamination of his crops with unwanted GM plants. After 10 years, Monsanto agrees to pay for a cleanup. So after a 10-year battle, Schmeiser won when, in March 2008, Monsanto settled out of court, agreeing to pay for all cleanup costs. The agreement also specified that Schmeiser would not be under gag order and that Monsanto can be sued for recontamination. And so it gives you some more of the story, but also gives you the other part of the story where, you, where he's, he's not quite happy yet with the laws that still protect Monsanto when it comes to patent infringement and, and so on. It comes in a whole different category because it's actually genetically modified, and so therefore they don't put it in the same category as contaminating a field with, with some other kind of seed, for instance. But he kept going and kept going, and they really, really threatened this guy, intimidated him like crazy. In fact, they, they got off with gangster tactics, I'd say, uh, real gangster tactics, and the, the Canadian government sat back because they obviously wanted all the, the ordinary farmers off the land and out of the business. And even the judge that, that uh, first tried uh, uh, this guy, 
said, I don't care how it got on your land. If a bird pooped on your land or wind blew it, I don't care. You've got it, so you're guilty. Therefore, I want so much cash, etc., etc., etc. So he appealed that and kept going. Most folk would have definitely given in. Now, things have also got so incredibly stupid, uh, intentionally stupid. There's nothing happens by chance because um, every young boy grows up uh, watching the war movies. He's in a little world of fantasy himself. And today, of course, there's nothing but war movies because the government promotes them and the Pentagon supplies them with the scripts at Hollywood. And they all work together uh, because they want to grow a fresh crop of soldiers for when they grow up, they'll be ready to go and get slaughtered for some other banker's cause. But it's getting so farcical when they punish you for having a gun-shaped slice of pizza. And I'll get into that when I come back from this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and just showing you how ridiculous it all is and how schizophrenic things are when, as I say, every child's out there playing every night with their, with their various uh, video games and, and blowing people away in the video games, and then they're watching movie after movie, all propaganda movies supplied by the Pentagon. Because I say they must grow up, you see, to be all, all for war and, and, and what they think is adventure and be just like the G-men type and these, these big beefy guys are out to kill all the heroes. They see them as heroes, you know. But here's a, a little boy at school, a doughboy, ten, punished for brandishing a gun-shaped slice of pizza. And this is in Britain, which they're really against guns except for all the cops and machine guns and things like that. A ten-year-old elementary student has been punished for waving around a slice of pizza which resembled the shape of a gun. Nicholas Taylor will be eating lunch at the silent table for the rest of this semester after being accused of threatening other students armed with a slice of pizza with bites taken out of it. Well, that's worse than one of the worst crimes I've heard of, isn't it? The youngster has also had to see the school resource officer to learn about gun safety. Here he is playing with a pizza and he's going to ask to learn about gun safety. You know. I mean, what do you tell him? You take a bite off the front part of it, the barrel, before you aim at anybody? I mean, what is this nonsense? It's utter, utter nonsense, isn't it? It, it truly is Orwellian nonsense. But it's all through the civil services and divisions and bureaucracies, all this, this strange brainwashing. So it says his mother, Leanne, described his, her son's punishment as absolutely ridiculous, saying that he was just playing around, according to Nashville's News 2 investigates, investigations. She claims he did not threaten to shoot anyone with the pizza. Uh, the, the child across the table from him said it looked like a gun, so he picked it up and started shooting it in the air. Well, how can you pick up a pizza and shoot it in the air? Do you see that, how they word it even there? You know, it can't do anything. You squeeze out some of the, you know, extra cheese or something. She told News 2 Investigation. Leanne said the first she heard about the incident after receiving a letter from the school, David Urey Elementary in Smyrna. Well, it's actually in the States, this one. This is in the States. This is from a British paper, though. Tennessee, saying her son had threatened other students by pointing it, I guess, you know. Uh, she said that she'd been warned that if Nicholas eats his pizza into the shape of a gun again, he will be suspended. James Evans, spokesperson for the Rutherford County School District, said the people is being punished because students reported he was making some threatening hand gestures that he was shooting other children at the table, according to the report. 
must have been a terrible pizza. He told News 2 Investigates that when asked, the students didn't tell him the truth about it, so he got silent lunch for six days. Uh, and Evans called the punishment minor, but said the message is clear. It was that some may say we're going overboard about their principle. It's just trying to use an abundance of caution and send the message that we don't play around with guns, and it's not something we joke about, he said. The answer of son is also weird. He should not play with guns. He, he hasn't. He's been eating a pizza. We won't have a gun in the house, he said. He plays with lightsabers. It's okay, he cut folk up into pieces, you see. Here's a, he's a big Star Wars fan. See how schizophrenic the whole society is? Uh, isn't that amazing? You know, Don't point that pizza at me. You know? it, it's just utterly ridiculous. But that's what we got nowadays, the ridiculousness. Now, Canada, I've talked about the Bank of Canada before and how it was the only bank that was truly uh, Canadian or national uh, but uh, during the Great Depression and how Canada didn't go through the Depression with the same problems as everyone else because it didn't issue debt money. It was all debt-free money at the time. And it wasn't private, you see, it was run by the government itself. But, of course, the right boys got in, infiltration, and took it over. Now it's the same as every other central banking system. So there's, um, there's a, a press conference that recently released about, uh, from constitutional lawyer Rocco Galati, to restore the use of the Bank of Canada, is called. I'll put that for Canadians who might be interested and tells you about the lawsuit press conference and when it is, when's, what's going on, where they're taking it, and so on. And we'll see what comes with that. And I mentioned before that the excellent video was done called Oh Canada, about the Bank of Canada, giving you the history of it, even talking to some ex-prime ministers who try to explain in a stammering, stuttering, halting, uh, incoherent manner why it's good to have a lot of debt, that's why it's really good for a nation to always have a lot of debt, you know. And you, you'll see him interview these, character, these characters. Now, I also talked to someone at the weekend who went to New York Central. Uh, and uh, they've got screens up everywhere now. It's just like the or- Orwellian, all the science fiction movies, these big screens everywhere. So you can't miss them. It doesn't matter where you're trying to look. And uh, it's like they played movies from Homeland Security on them telling you it's all for your good and we've got 200 agents amongst you right now watching and, and some of them may be scrubbing the floors or cleaning the toilets or sitting next to you in the train eventually, but they're all ours, we're watching, etc. Then it shows you a guy who looks uh, like lost, like anybody is, who's lost at an airport, has been, uh, not an airport, uh, the actual uh, train station. And it says, this, for this man, look at him, for instance, he looks suspicious, you should report him. So whatever you do, it doesn't matter if you've never been on a train before, don't look concerned because you're utterly lost, because you'll get reported and, and, and dragged off by a bunch of goons before you know it. But this is how crazy everything is now. And this article here is about TSA, says screenings are not just for airports anymore. Uh, roving security teams increasingly visit train stations, subways, and other mass transit sites to deter terrorism. Critics say it's largely uh, political theatre. And it goes on to, to talk about what they've been doing. It says, Three feral air marshals in bulletproof vests and two officers trained to spot suspicious behaviour. Watch closely as Seiko, a German shepherd, nosed uh, vetter's trousers for chemical traces of a bomb. Uh, radiation de- uh, detectors carried by the, the marshals scanned the 57-year-old lawyer for concealed nuclear materials. Oh. Back with more after this break. 
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the Matrix and talking about how far things go into in the world of Alice in Wonderland when you create a, a government agency. Uh, all bureaucracies and agencies spread like cancers immediately. That's the first thing they always do. And what, they want more money that makes them feel more powerful, more necessary, you see. If they're kept fairly small, there's always a chance they'll be scrapped at some budget cut. So they, they have to spread, you see, and seem awfully important. Anyway, it says here, and it's a handout, obviously, it's a pro-security handout for, to the newspapers. The Transportation Security Administration isn't just in airports anymore. TSA teams are increasingly conducting searches and screenings at train stations, subways, ferry terminals, and other mass transit locations around the country. We're not the Airport Security Administration, says Ray Deneen, the air marshal in charge of the TSA office in Charlotte. We take the transportation part seriously. So they've got 25 Viper teams, like all this military stuff. And they watch all these movies too, eh? And now they've got the, the uniforms and outfits and flat jackets and all, all the gizmos and gadgets. Viper team. You know, actually, they pay marketers big, big bucks. It's okay because it's your cash you're spending. Uh, to come up with these, these names, you know. And it's for visible intermodal prevention and response. That's, that's what they got to fit in with Viper. Uh, so they sound awfully good, you know. Didn't go for Adder because they've got a very low IQ and they've got problems with sums. Anyway, it says they've had to run more than 9,300 9, unannounced checkpoints and other search operations in the last year. The Department of Homeland Security officials have asked Congress for funding to add 12 more teams next year. More, more, more cash. Just, just incredible. According to the budget document, the department spent 110 million in fiscal 2011 for surface transportation security, including TSA's Viper program, and is asking for an additional 24 million next year. That compares with more than 5 billion for aviation security. They're probably asking for submarines next as well. TSA officials say they have no proof that the roving Viper teams have foiled any terrorist plots or thwarted any major threat to public safety, but they argue that the random nature of the searches in the presence of armed officers serve as a deterrent and bolster public confidence. So they terrify the public, and they call it bolstering public confidence. We have to keep them, you know, them, it says the terrorists, on edge, says Frank Califo, Director of Homeland Security, Policy Institute at George Washington University in Washington. We're not going to have a permanent presence everywhere, he says. Well, they would if they had all the cash for it. So it goes into the, the old stuff again, the usual stuff, Osama bin Laden's compound, Pakistan, and all that, and, and more stories and why they must be there, about who gets blown up across the world, and that the U.S. will have more attacks in the future, and they will too. They will actually have real attacks. Um, it's hard to tell the difference anymore, but they might get real attacks because folk are getting awfully ticked off at their countries being run over by foreign armies. And... You know, men with fat suits on, fat men with fat suits, I should say, and podgy fingers are grabbing all the resources and, and their cash. Now, anonymous, of course, you've heard of anonymous that do that occasional hacking, but it's, they plan for violent revolution, plans for violent revolution, to say. In other words, they put a handbook or something out, I'll put it up tonight to tell you maybe how you protect yourself when, if, if all hell breaks loose. And uh, it's, it's always good to know this stuff, because everyone tries to keep alive during times of 
uh, riots or anything else that's going on. It could be rioting brought on by government. Who knows? It could be government um, playing close guys doing the rioting. You, you won't know. But it doesn't matter. What you want to know is how to survive it. I'll put this link up anyway. Uh, and I'm sure even this kind of knowledge is good for... It would have been good in previous wars too when your country's invaded as well. If you want to live, that is. Or you just want to wait for government to tell you what to do. Or kill you. By mistake. Um... Antidepressants. The big pharma is, is, is incredible with uh, all the pills that they churn out. And when they find out that something is unsafe uh, or even lethal, they often just move a few molecules in a different pattern, the same molecules, and they call it a different name. They're allowed to do that and resell a thing. And uh, even, even thalidomide is back on the market. I don't know if people have known that. For quite a few years, the thing that it brought up children, it genetically, genetically modified them all, right, until they had no arms practically, the hands sticking out where, their, where their, ar- their arms should be, or their shoulders, and tiny, tiny legs or no legs at all. And it was a hor- horrific thing to see the offspring of these, these mothers who took this stuff during pregnancy. And so they came out with it a few years ago, and it's back to the old thing that they actually announced it for. It was to, it was to, and actually it, it may help you with urine problems or bladder problems, but mainly for, it may, it may, this is the beauty of pharma, isn't it? It may uh, help prevent breast cancer. So they give it another name, moved a molecule over, uh, and that, there you go. They never give up. Antidepressants, talk therapy, fail to beat placebo. Placebo, of course, is a fake. You generally it's something made of flour or something. Neither antidepressants nor talk therapy were able to outperform inactive placebo pills in a new clinical trial on depression treatment, though there were hints that the effects varied based on people's sex and race. I guess you mean gender and race, researchers report. The findings published in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry add to evidence that people receiving real depression treatment in studies from antidepressants to St. John's Wort often do no better than people given a placebo. A recent interview found that a minority of antidepressants users even fared worse on the placebo uh, than the placebo users. It says in this latest study, researchers randomly assigned 156 depression patients to either take the antidepressants uh, Cetraline, it's called here, Zoloft, and other brands daily for 16 weeks undergo a form of psychotherapy called supportive expressive therapy twice a week for four weeks, then weekly for 12 weeks, or be in a placebo group given inactive pills. After 16 weeks, there were no overall differences in how the three groups fared. Of antidepressant patients, 31% were treated treatment responders. They said it was okay. In other words, they felt better on placebo. Uh, and, and so on and so on. So they, they know this stuff, of course, but it won't do because it won't manage it. They'll just put more and more ads on television and bring on people who say their lives have been changed by the latest wonder drug. Who, then they'll get money from it from the pharma and they'll go on the big talk shows on television and tell you all, all about it, the virtues and wonders of being stoned out your head. Now, Britain, it used to be called Great Britain at one time, and, and during the 60s, went pretty well all communist, uh, completely under what was called the Labour Party at the time, and never recovered, of course. And then I've, I've read the articles uh, by Tony Blair's uh, chief, or his second-in-command, actually, who admitted that they would try to destroy Britain forever, especially the culture, so it could never re-emerge by mass immigration and other techniques as well. 
But as they all go down the tubes, they all have to, to pay. We all have to pay, actually, through the World Trade Organization, through the United Nations treaties, to bring up the, the countries that are now up in emerging nations, they call them, emerging nations. And in other words, there are all these deals given to them. We fund their economies into existence. We build the factories from through our cash. And so that they, you can't lose. They, they can't lose. It's all by treaty. And no matter how broke you are at home, you've got to pay for these treaties, you see. But Brazil overtakes Britain as the sixth largest economy, it says. Well, Britain, they can't even heat its people in the wintertime anymore. Brazil has overtaken Britain as the world's sixth largest economy, the London-based research group said Monday. In its latest World Economics League table, the Centre for Economics and Business Research said Asian countries were moving up while European countries were slipping down. Well, that was put out uh, in, in, by the United Nations many years ago. That's what their agenda would be bring down the, the first world countries and bring up to a certain standard the third world countries. So there's nothing new in it. Brazil's population of about 200 million is more than three times that of Britain. The Brazilian economy, and you see the size of the, the two countries compared though, Brazilian economy grew 7.5% in 2010, but the government has cut its growth projections to 3.5% for this year after the economy slowed in the third quarter. Uh, CEBR, CEBR, also predicted that the British economy would overtake France, uh, ranked fifth this year by 2016. And it said India, the world's tenth biggest economy, we're funding that too, uh, in 2011, would move up to fifth place by 2020. So it's all planned. You're living in a, a, through a script, as I say, that the whole future of the world is scripted and planned and so on. Because all these projections here, tally uh, projections that came out from the United Nations uh, at least 20 years ago, maybe, maybe more in fact. And talking about Britain, uh, as they go down the tubes and there's hardly any healthcare care service left, you get 100, you get maybe uh, 25 to 50,000 dying uh, every year. That's the government statistics. The, the, the local statistics are much, much higher. About 150,000 die of the cold in the winter. These are people living in homes, that, you know, elderly people, because they can't afford the fuel. But that's okay. You know, they're worthless now. Once you're old, you're worthless, isn't it true? We should just dispose of us. Liquefies in that green sludge and then it pours into the garden. And like that uh, article said, you can pour granny in the garden and grow tomatoes or carrots or something. Uh, cancer patients are relying more on charity handouts as they struggle to pay rising fuel bills, figures reveal. Macmillan Cancer Support said it paid out £2,548,563 to 12,669 cancer patients during 2011, which is up 1.4 million to 7,369 patients five years ago. The charity wants a government-commissioned independent review of fuel poverty. You can't afford the fuel for your home to to prioritize cancer patients. That's really when you know what governments think of you. It's when they treat people like this. This is how they really, really think of you. Macmillan's campaign manager, Laura Keeley, said it was shocking cancer sufferers needed such help. Unacceptable reality. She said, too feel too, too, feel too scared to put the heating on because of soaring energy bills is an unacceptable reality for thousands of vulnerable cancer patients who feel the cold more and spend long periods of time at home. When the charity was established 100 years ago, founder Douglas Macmillan helped cancer patients by handing out sacks of coal to keep them warm. And we're, we're right back to that now. Only it's oil now. You must use oil. You know, the authorized oil. You can't burn it. You're not allowed to burn firewood now and stuff like that. It's catchy. Oh, that's carbon. Ooh. You know. 
So you've got a nice green land there, you see, with dead people. But the, the Greenies will be awfully happy about that. And so the United Nations, because they said, you know, uh, a good global citizen is a, both a producer and a consumer. That's the definition of it. And when you're elderly, you're consuming, but you're not producing. So, I mean, and this is all through t- movies and so on. Old folk you'll always notice are senile. You notice that they're always senile. They're always senile. And, and they always joke about them. That's to get you to do the same. As you dehumanize a section of your own people. And one day it'll be your turn to be laughed at as well. Uh, I'm freezing to death. I'm sorry, sir, but you see you're not really worth keeping alive. Yeah. Yeah, that's as simple as that. Eugenics, isn't it? And economics. And American congressmen are calling on Twitter to block Taliban propagandists from the micro-blogging site. That's so they can get the American propagandists on instead, I suppose. And uh, anyway, they're using it all. So there's, there's fairness for you. In England, too, uh, they brought in a, into a school there uh, a head teacher, principal, who did really improved the school by all our ideas, like teaching them something called education, you know, real education. You know. a, head, a head was forced from school for improving the students' education. I'll put this link up to a video, and you'll hear what's happened to this woman as they had to get rid of her because she was teaching the children, and she wasn't falling down into the some desperate measures all the schools end up falling down into, just keeping them above and floating. But it's not good enough. You see, you're not supposed to educate children. You don't want that. All you want are soldiers. Uh, that grow, people who grow, grow up to be soldiers because you'll still be fighting and, and up to the year 2025, 2050 even because of other plans after they finished off Libya and Syria. Read, read the CFR's reports, long term, long range. So you want pretty well stupid people, you see, who don't really know what they're fighting for or care as long as they get to wear the same outfits that the little, little cartoon characters in their video games wore. They're the winners, you see. Children see that very easily. Winners and losers. I want to be one of them winners, you see. So I'll put this link up to let you have a little peek at it. And another article, too, on the same thing about energy prices creating a heat or eat decision. Uh, that's another article on the same, the same problem. And uh, it, shows you, it shows you how really bad it is. One in five Britons, 22%, says they will either eat less or buy more microwaved or cheaper food this Christmas so they can pay their heating bills, while nearly a third, as 30%, will buy fewer presents to keep their home, homes warm. So they can't afford presents for their... See, they used to have grandchildren things at one time, you know, the, the old folks and stuff, that's how they were, that strange generation, and you don't have even families anymore. But, but what can you say? And in France, uh, the, the job... Total hits is 12-year high, it says here. And uh, the number of jobless people in France are 12-year high in November, and the latest sign that the French job market is deteriorating ahead of the April-May presidential election. So uh, all the, the Europe is going down and down. They're all up to their eyes in debt. Actually, they're past their eyes in debt because they were all bailing each other out by borrowing money from private bankers to try and bail out some countries. didn't work. Uh, oh, the bankers loved it. We're getting them all into the, Now the bankers will own them uh, for about two, three hundred years to come with all this compound interest stuff they keep tacking on to everything. It must be great to be uh, untouchable at the top, eh? Untouchable. And now in Britain too, 
that they ruled from Brussels, the super parliament, the Soviet parliament in Brussels. It says Brussels now clobbers the British holidaymakers with a green tax on flights. And a family of four are forced to pay £80 more to fly to America because it was carbon, you know. It's energy taxes. I wonder if these guys, you know, like Rockefellers, they've never seen the TSA because they go into special airports where they've got their own jets and everything. And nobody dares pat them down, believe me. And, and uh, they can go wherever they want. I doubt they even take a passport with them or anything like that. And then there's a cop, a cop who says, I can do whatever I want. He's yelling when he's drunk over a dark game. And then he pulls out a gun and shot a guy and killed him. He executed him. And it was caught on a video. I'll put that up tonight as well to show you how crazy they all are out there. And this is the type who who are going to serve and protect their global masters, I guess. That's what it must mean, because it certainly isn't the public. But, uh, yeah, oh, a a darts match and and an argument broke out, and the guy said, I'm a cop, I can do whatever I want, and pulled his gun out and and, and shot a guy and just executed him. There's temper for you, eh? What kind of drugs are they on? What kind of drugs are they on? There's all kinds of drugs for the cops now. And I've got this is the TSA screenings for airports anymore. There's, there's more to I'll put up as well. And another and last article is about how pepper spraying children and tasering them in school and out of school is now normalized. It's the normal thing to do for compliance. That's what you do for compliance. The big bully will do the same thing too. They'll twist your neck until you, you're given. Well, the new normal is to taser and pepper spray children for compliance. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and after a caller on the line, this Jane from Ontario, is she is she still there? Uh, yes, I am. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, when you were talking about uh, the children being taken from their parents, <clears throat> it made me think of a former Georgia senator, Nancy Schaefer. Um, she became involved helping parents whose children had been seized by child protection agencies. Mm-hmm. And um, later, she began exposing corruption surrounding that issue and um, exposing child trafficking that was going on. Mm-hmm. And in 2010, she and her husband were found dead um, in what many people believe was a staged murder-suicide. Yeah. yeah so it looks like that mm-hmm. was a way of uh, keeping her quiet about the issue. Well, it, it, there's no doubt about it that there's, there's people, there's, there's certain people put orders in for children, you know. They, they order, you know, you put an order, I want, I want this, and, and it's big bucks, big, big business, and, uh, the, the social worker and aid companies get big money too for every child they, they kidnap. Uh, so, and it's good business for the courts and lawyers love it, the more business they get, the better. But, uh, but yeah, it's a dangerous business as well because you're dealing uh, at the top with the gangster mentality of the super rich, super elites, uh, and the pervs that are out there. Uh, and, yeah, uh, and and the per- like the perverts who are um, like the child molesters who are like homeless or you know at the bottom end of mm-hmm. society, um, they get 
you know, put in jail for what they yeah. do. But the wealthy ones, you know, and the uh, influential ones get away with it. Like the thing that happened, um, well, even in the White House, there were tours of the White House where they were taking um, young children and, uh, I don't know, something to do with White House tours, and it was something to do with, um, you know, child prostitution and whatnot. And that was totally covered up. Like it was related to the Franklin, Missouri. Um, That's right. That the, Franklin, the Franklin cover-up, yeah. That's right. But, yeah, yeah, these things come up every so often, but you're dealing with very high-profile people. And, and uh, mind you, they're trying to, to do away with all the laws so that they can have what they want. They're trying to call it pedophilia. They want to call it intergenerational sex and make it sound better. But it's the same thing. And there's big, important, uh, very wealthy folk up there who are pushing for this. It's all through the movies, too, by the way. Yes. So yeah, and it used to be really, really subtle. Yeah. Like, there'd be things like someone um, and it, a child suddenly becoming an adult through some magic. Like, and, and some of them were really kind of enjoyable movies to watch, you know. But when you think about it, you know, yeah. it, like, they would end up falling in love with someone as an adult, but then they'd... I don't know. It's sort of going toward that direction, I yeah. think, in a very, very mild, mild it's, way. It's controlled. It's controlled uh, first from the censor bureaus. The censor bureaus are there to control, to see if, and keep the pulse on the public, to see if you're degenerate enough now as the public to, to accept this stuff. And when, and when they think that you are, they push the envelope to the next step. And I can remember when they did it like in 2001, they said they'd have more uh, intergenerational um, portrayals on, on, in movies, and bingo, right off the bat, there was one with a well-known uh, star, female star, in the tub with a young boy who at one time, through a different life, was her husband. This is how they got to put it across. So, they'll, yeah, they'll pull you in with it. They'll sucker you in with the story if you, if you watched it at all. I don't watch any of this stuff because I know what they're up to. And uh, and then you're actually accepting this relationship in a fictional form. And the next step is the, to bring it into reality, is to, is to normalize in your mind. And we adapt so darn quickly. Uh, whatever you put in your mind uh, can help you or it can kill you or it can kill others. And you, remember, the mind has no firewall. It has no firewall. It's a very important thing to take care of. But thanks for calling. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, a God of your gods, go with you. <laughs>